Good morning again. If you want a Bible, we can have people hand you one. You just have to raise your hand, and uh, and Carrie or or Leslie or Naomi, I'll put you on the spot. Um, we'll bring you a Bible. So we want you to be in God's Word now, because <clears throat> it's cool. So, uh, so I asked my Facebook friends when they've ever felt completely afraid, and I was kind of overwhelmed with the amount of responses. I mean, some of them were kind of funny, like mice, snakes, scorpions, centipedes. <laughs> Not funny, but, you know, um, oh, and needles. I thought that was kind of random. And I remember, and I would, I would describe they're, they're real, but I would describe those as kind of kid fears. Meaning, like, if you really thought about it, there's probably not too many scorpions in Minnesota. I'm just saying. I had a kid fear where um, near my bed, like underneath it, crocodiles lived there. And so whenever I would go into my room and have to go to my bed, I would like dive from three or four feet away. See? There's a couple of you that know what I'm talking about. And so, literally, I hit my head a few times. I know, you're like, oh, that explains a lot. <clears throat> but, but I was completely afraid of whatever was under my bed. Now, when my dad would come in the room with me, uh, I could walk up to the edge of the bed, and I don't know if it's because the fear went away, or if I just thought, since my dad was with me, even if the crocodile did grab my ankle and start to pull me under, my dad would be able to pull me out. But somehow, I was less afraid at that point. And I call those kid fears because, again, I think we can rationalize, if we understand the facts, we can generally take that anxiety level down. But a couple of the other fears were a bit more complex. Um, And I I would just call those sort of adult fears. Um, Some people wrote uh, the death, you know, I'm I'm completely afraid of someone that I care about dying. Um, Another person wrote about um, hearing really, I'm, I'm afraid of getting a really bad health scare, like your terminal. Uh, another person said, uh, when, when you know the, the end is in sight for, for a marriage. Um, uh, uh, several people wrote about living or living without a purpose or dying, never finding out my purpose. And um, a, a lot of people wrote about living life alone, fear of the unknown, or disappointing others. Uh, and these are more complex fears because the anxiety kind of rises up and, and we can't rationalize it away. We can't just say, you know, there's, prob- there's probably not crocodiles living under my bed. Um, these things, they're pretty real. And... Uh, and they're a lot more difficult to face. And, and when we do try and face those, a lot of times anxiety rises up in us. And, and they say that the number one factor of a healthy organization is the non-anxious presence of a leader. The number one factor in a healthy organization is the non-anxious presence of a leader. 
Now, just think about that for a minute. Think about uh, an organization or a job you've been in where you've had a, a, a boss who is, um, doesn't do that. They, they have a bunch of anxiety. You kind of never know where they're going to go, right? And, and you're almost afraid to walk into their office because if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, they could fly off the handle, and it's just, it, it causes you to kind of go, oh. And now imagine a family where the mom or the dad can't exhibit a non-anxious presence. All of a sudden, kids are walking around on eggshells because at any moment, mom or dad could fly off the handle. And all of a sudden, you, 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 these kids grow up, and all of a sudden they have um, what we term dysfunctions. And when you look into it, it's because they don't have this centered place that they can live from. Because again, this anxiety kind of takes over. Maybe you've been in a church. I'm sorry if you have. Hopefully it's not this one, where the person that's kind of leading it is an anxious presence. And you start to realize, wow, a non-anxious presence really does make a huge difference in life. And, and Christmas is supposed to be this time of anticipation and celebration, and yet uh, tons and tons of people dread, they just dread the holidays. Um, there, was a, there was a statistic in a Consumer Reports survey that I just read this week that it's estimated that 56 million Americans, okay, you catch that? 56 million Americans, uh, they dread the holidays because of the anxiety around seeing certain relatives. You know, crazy Aunt Susan, and, and you're just like, I, I think that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sue. It just came into my head. When you think about that, though, really, like, that is going to cause anxiety in your life? Seeing certain relatives? And, and if it is, what's going on in the rest of our lives? And I think we need a bigger picture of who Jesus is so that, so that we can discover what Christmas is supposed to be, this anticipation rather than this anxiety. And so if your life is filled with a bunch of anxiety at this time or because of different circumstances, then, then how do you trust God? in those times, in those really, really bad times. Last week, we looked at this book. We started this book called Isaiah, very gigantic book, and um, I gave you lots of it, <laughs> kind of poured it out there, and we talked about how we, can, how we have to trust God when times are, are good, and how we trust God when times are good is we, we get a bigger picture of who God is, and so Isaiah sketched out this picture of the Messiah as the Holy One of Israel. Now, today, we look at times are bad. When we get to Isaiah 7, it's, it's chaos in the land of, of Judah. From the peasants to the king, like people are freaking out. So let's just go to Isaiah. If you have your Bible, you want to turn there. It's kind of in the middle. And in Isaiah 7, we, f- we find again with this new period of time. So the first period is dealing with these kings called Uzziah and Jotham. And they were good kings and times were good, and now Jotham has this son named Ahaz, and Ahaz is not a good king. All right? Ahaz does not trust God. We'll find out in a few minutes. And, um, and so he's also in this place where, where um, his dad was asked to go to war with two other countries. If you can put up the, the map, 
um, we've got Judah, which is kind of the, the land of God's people, and Israel is supposed to be the land of God's people, but they're just basically thumbing their nose at God, and they really are following other gods. And now, in the top, we've got Assyria, also called Aram, and then we've got Assyria. Assyria is on the prowl. They're basically like the German Empire in World War II. They want to kind of take over the world. And, and Egypt is a power-hungry place. They kind of want to take over the world, and now there's these three small countries, maybe a couple more, but three major countries that are kind of in the middle of this power play. So the king of Syria, or the, yeah, the king of Syria, he basically took out the king of Israel and put a new king in Israel and then said, let's go to war with Assyria. And they asked Jotham, Judah's king, to go to war, and Jotham said, no way. I'm not going up against Assyria. And so when Ahaz, his son, became king, they're like, let's go. So Aram slash Syria and Israel said, let's go down to Judah, kill their king, put in a new king that will side with us, and then go to war with Assyria. Okay, that was kind of a lot. You still tracking with me? So basically, Syria and Israel, they're going to come down, and they're going to crush Judah, and then go fight Assyria. So that's what we're looking at when we go to Isaiah 7. So I'm reading out of the NLT here. It says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezan of Syria, and king Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. The news had come to the royal court of Judah, so that's the king's court, um, this king Ahaz. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and all his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Okay, so I got to experience uh, the tail end of a tornado when I was 11 years old in Bemidji, Minnesota, and... Um, I remember this day because we were all huddled in this room without a basement, and we had 14 trees that were falling all around this 800-square-foot cabin. My friend peed in the bed, like, as we are trying to sing Jesus Loves Me. I mean, it's scary. People are freaking out. Trees swaying in the storm. I mean, I know what this feels like. And there is anxiety everywhere in Judah. And the king, he is freaking out because he's been king all of, um, well, a couple years alone, He was sort of reigning with his dad for a little while, but now his dad dies, and now these other kings are coming in going, we're going to take you out, we're going to kill you, and we're going to put in a new guy, and then we're going to go attack. And the people are freaking out, like I'm freaking out right now. The people are freaking out because they know that if the king dies and is killed, then the new king is going to go to war with Assyria, and then Assyria is going to come and take out the whole land and go back to the map. And now Judah as a nation, as a country, is going to be in deep doo-doo. So not just the king, it's kind of affecting everyone. And I guess if someone had a hit out on my life, I might be a little anxious too. And that's what's going on here in these first couple chapters, or these first couple verses of Isaiah. So, So the two kings come down. And people are freaking out, and Ahaz says, wow, if I'm going to be attacked, uh, I better go check out the water supply. Now again, we're like, huh, that doesn't quite make sense for us because we have water towers and we have 
pipes that run under the city, but they didn't have that. They had rivers and aqueducts that would come in, and, if, if, and the cities had large walls around them. And so oftentimes we could go hide in our city, the walls would protect us, while these armies, they would come around the city and cut off the water supply. So either you came out and fight and died, or you stayed inside, didn't get any water, and then you'd starve and die. So either way, it's not good. So the king is around checking out the water supply, and it says in, chapter, er, in verse 3, The Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shear Jashub. Did anyone pick that as a name when you were on the meet and greet? Shear Jashub? Uh, it, it means the remnant will return. And so this prophet had to name his son Shear Jashub so that he would be like a sign or a symbol saying, be faithful to God, a small amount of you will, will be okay. And so take that son and go meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the pool at the end of the aqueduct that feeds the water into the upper pool near the road of the field where the clothes are washed, going out to set out the water supply. Verse 4 is the kind of the key. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Reason of Syria and Pekah, son of Remaliah. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against you, saying, we're going to attack Jerusalem, capture it for ourselves, then we'll kill you, we'll take the son of Tobiel, we'll set him up as the new king. But this is what the sovereign, again, that kind of the Holy One of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will not, never take place, for Syria is not stronger than its capital, Damascus, and Israel within 65 years will be crushed and destroyed. Israel is not stronger than its capital. Samaria is not stronger than its king. It's not going to happen. So unless your faith is firm, you will not stand. So I don't know if that works for you. When you're kind of freaking out and all anxious and someone comes up and goes, oh, don't worry, especially when they're a Christian, you know, like, oh, just don't worry, trust God. It, for me, I'm like, oh, thanks. And because I'm a pastor, I have to have a nice response. But I know before I was a pastor, I didn't have a nice response. I'm like, and I would say other things, but they probably weren't appropriate for right now. So that's what Isaiah does. He brings his son called the remnant will return. Shir Jashub, hey, Ahaz, don't worry. What? Don't worry. Those kings, they're like smoldering sticks in a fire that went out 18 hours ago. Okay? They're about to die. You're going to be fine. So if you believe Ahaz, you will last. If you don't believe, you will last. So, so I think the first thing that, that Isaiah says to the king is, when you're freaking out, when, every, when all this anxiety is going around, pause and look at it from God's perspective. I mean, God's perspective was, you know, these two kings, they might seem powerful, but they're like just smoldering sticks. They're like a match that just went out. They're not, they're not an atomic bomb that you need to freak out about. But in Ahaz's mind, they look huge. But from God's perspective, they are so, so small. And so I think this kind of pretty easily correlates over and applies to our life. When we're in an anxious place and we're kind of freaking out about whatever trouble is coming our way, we can pause 
And we can metaphorically like get up on God's shoulders and see it from his point of view. And so people mean really well when they say, don't worry, trust God. But I think it'd be more helpful for, for us to hear, you know, pause and look at it from God's perspective. What does he see in this situation? And then the second thing, which doesn't quite so easily correlate into our lives, but it's in the text, so we need to talk about it. The second thing that Isaiah says, you know, Ahaz, if you believe, you'll last. And if you don't believe, you won't last. Um, Ahaz was from the direct line of David. So he could say, my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather was David, King David. King David, who God promised that the, the throne of Israel, like the kingdom, will stay in his house. The throne is secure in the line of David. And if you believe that, Ahaz, your, your father was faithful, he lasted. Your grandfather was faithful, he lasted. If you're faithful, like, I want to bless you. And so again, um, God is offering this amazing, amazing, generous offer. Kind of like saying, Ahaz, ask, ask for what you want. And, and again, I don't think any of us are from the royal line of David. Since Jesus fulfilled that, I don't think it matters anymore. But do, when we're anxious and freaking out, do we remember when God called us? When, when he accepted us and when we accepted him. And if, if you haven't experienced that, you can. And then you can come back to that. And it's not exactly the same, but I, th- I think it correlates. And we can trust God that he has worked in our lives and that he wants to keep working in our lives because he wants the whole world to understand who he is. And if he can use us to do that, he will. And when people are like, you know, God is really harsh. Um, I I love to look at this passage because if you look on in in verse 10, God even allows Ahaz to test him. In other places in scripture, we read that it's not right to test God, but God says to Ahaz, you can even test me. In verse 10 and 11, it says, later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation. Ask Ahaz, ask it as, make it as difficult as you want. From as high as heaven to as deep as the place on earth. Do you realize like what he's giving? This license for Ahaz to ask anything and God will give it as a sign. Now, why, if, if normally in scripture, we're not supposed to test God, I think it's a good question to ask, why should we test him? Why does God want Ahaz to test him here? Well, Ahaz has this problem. He likes to worship other gods. In, in 2 Chronicles 28, it says, um, When Ahaz became king, he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the examples of the the other bad kings. He made idols for worship to Baal. He offered sacrifices in this valley, Ben-Hinnom. He even sacrificed his own children. Not a good parenting tactic, by the way. Um, 
In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the shrine pagan altars that unfortunately his father and his grandfather didn't get rid of. So Ahaz doesn't trust the one true God. He doesn't trust the mighty one of Israel. He doesn't trust this God. He trusts in these other things, in these other gods. And now he's being called to trust God. And there's this thing called muscle memory if you work out, or reflexes and and emotional, like in in therapy and um, mental health things, called uh, a repeated reflex. And Ahaz's repeated reflex, his muscle memory, is to go back to these foreign gods. Not trust the one true God, which is why I think that God is saying, ask whatever you want, Ahaz. Whatever. Whatever it is. I want to prove to you that I am the one true God, that I am worth it, that I am worthy to be followed, that I'm trustworthy. And, and Ahaz says in verse 12, says no. No, I won't ask for a sign. I won't test the Lord. Now, he kind of sounds like he knows what he's talking about. You know, like, no, 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 it's not right to test God. But really, he doesn't trust that God would do that. And he doesn't really believe. Because he's kind of wavering. What's going on here is, um, is he knows Assyria is powerful and getting more powerful. So he's, he's thinking to himself, do I want to trust God, who I can't necessarily see, or do I want to trust Assyria? Because I could go over, I know some people who know some people. I could go over to Assyria and say, O oh, powerful Assyrian king, that I forgot your name, Tigath Pilis or whatever, I will, I will be your servant. I will give you a bunch of money if you come and take out these other nations. He can see that. He might even be able to trust that because pretty much... No one's gone up against Assyria and won. And so Ahaz is in this place where he's going back and forth. Do I want to trust this God that I can't see, that I haven't trusted before because I kind of trust these other gods? Or do I want to trust the king of Assyria? And, and Isaiah comes to him and says, put your trust in God. And he says, no, 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 I don't want to test him. And so Isaiah says, listen, your royal family kind of makes it seem like it wasn't just Isaiah, who Ahaz has probably known all his life since Isaiah was a prophet all through his dad's life. He's known him forever. He's kind of like that wise guru person that he's always been around. And now he's speaking to the whole, his whole family. Listen, your royal family of David, isn't it enough to exhaust God's patience or human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating curds, yogurt, sour milk, and honey. For before the child is that old, the land of these two kings will be destroyed. Now, if you've gone to church before at Christmas time, I'm guessing you heard one of those verses before. Right? Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and, and we will call him Emmanuel. 
And, and this, is a, this is a prophecy. This is something that, that Isaiah foretold. And sometimes we just think, oh, it has no relevance to the here and now. It's, that's about Jesus. And I would agree that we can take this verse and we can say, look, is that a picture of, of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But I also think that the prophet was speaking right there to Ahaz and saying, look, this woman, young woman, virgin, who probably even in the room, she's going to give birth. And so scholars have said, oh, like maybe, maybe it's Ahaz's son. Because Ahaz has this son named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is like one of the most godly kings of all Israel. Or it could be in chapter 8, we find out you think Sheer Jashub was bad. Isaiah has a second son named Malher Shalal Hashbaz, which basically means like swift is the booty, speedy is the prey, which basically means like um, by the time this child is old enough to eat, talk, know his mom and dad's name, uh, these two, Syria and Israel, they're going to they're gonna die. So quick pickings, easy prey, like, you know, fishing, you know, kids fishing when they throw the little line over with a paper, the clothespin behind the net, you know, and they always get a prize. Like, that's the same. Mahar Shalah Hashbaz is like, woo, easy pickings, quick prey, I got it. No problem. So it's either, most likely, Ahaz's son Hezekiah or Isaiah's second son Malher Shalah Hashbaz, which I'm guessing you also didn't pick as one of your names. But what's the point? Why, why would we go on that little diatribe? Um, well, what's it about? Is that, is that about Ahaz? Is that about Isaiah? Is that about Jesus? I think it's a trick question. I think ultimately what Isaiah is talking about here is it's about God. That God will come and be with the people. And he will absolutely be with the people when Hezekiah grows up and becomes the next king and Assyria tries to take over the whole land. And, and Hezekiah is faced with this choice. Do I, do I just pay Assyria? Do I trust God? Or do I like call on another nation for help? And he trusts God. And the people all say, oh, God must be with us. I think it's absolutely about Jesus where the people come and they say, this is God with us. And, and we can look into our life today and, and wonder, is God with us? Because isn't that what we do when we freak out? When we get all anxious? When times are really bad? My good friends went through a really bad divorce and, and she's had a hard time wondering if God is with her because, they're, because times are so hard for her. And when, when those times are tough, do we take the easy way out or do we follow God? Ahaz um, went back to his old ways. He followed other gods. He didn't trust God, and he asked Assyria for help. And it cost him. Physically, he lost 100,000 soldiers. 
um, experienced soldiers on the first day of battle with these other two nations. Financially, he had to give money out of his own treasury. He had to give money out of the temple treasury to pay Assyria. And then they attacked him anyway. And then spiritually, the nation completely suffered because Ahaz um, actually closed the temple of God and said, don't worship this God. Worship these false gods. And so it was kind of the beginning of the end for their nation. But in 700 years later, times are tough again. It's not Assyria that's occupying the country. It's the Rome that's occupying the country. And times are tough, and people haven't heard from God for hundreds of years, and all of a sudden, they hear about this Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, and they say, do I want to trust Jesus? Or just want to kind of hang out in in this occupied land of Rome and, and take what I can and, and hope that, that my life is going to be okay. And in those moments, Jesus didn't even condemn those people for wavering. In those moments, he just said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. If you come to me, you will have peace. If you don't come to me, you won't have peace. And then rather than judge them, he dies for them. And so, when we go 2,000 years forward to today and go, okay, what significance does this have from 732 B.C. for you and me? We are not, I mean, if you are, I'd like to know, um, if you're the king or queen of a small country. I mean, that'd be cool. Um, But don't we often think we're kings and queens in our own hearts? Like there's this little tiny universe that we rule inside our own hearts, and maybe around us. Maybe you struggle, um, maybe you're struggling as a parent to, to rule the little universe that is your children, because um, they're doing things that you can't control, and, and we like control. Um, maybe you're, you're, an, you're an adult or a young adult who is just trying, there's nothing in your life that seems stable, that seems in control, and so you just want to be the king of your universe so that so life can make sense, so that you can feel some grounding. And I think in those times, it's the same, it's the same message. God is saying, will you trust me rather than the easy way out? And today, when we look at this new picture of, of Messiah, not, not like last week of the Holy One of Israel, even though God still is, the Holy One of Israel, and certainly Jesus is the Holy One of Israel. But today when we look at this Messiah picture, as a new picture of the Messiah, um, Emmanuel, excuse me, God with us, where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? Do you see this God who is present, like the psalmist said, that is abundantly available to you and I for helps in times of trouble? Does that bring you to this point where you, you want to confess how you've been wrong? How you want to confess that you've been king or you've been queen? Knowing that God's not going to condemn you. He's with us. He understands us. He died for us in those moments. But when we can turn it over to him and trust him as savior and king of our lives, all of a sudden we get this hope that we have never had before. 
And that's what Isaiah was bringing. And that's what Jesus brings to our lives. And that's what God wants for us right now in our lives today. So let's just pause and we'll spend a couple minutes in prayer. And as we do that, um, reflect on your own life where you've been king, where you've been queen, where you've trusted him. God, for some of us, it's really hard to trust you when times are bad. And in those moments, a lot of us would admit that we doubt you and we doubt your goodness. We might even doubt your existence. And yet we still inevitably will talk to you even if we're not sure you're listening. And I pray right now that we'd come to a new picture of who you are as Messiah, as, as God with us. Whether times are good or times are utterly alone, that we would see and sense and accept that you are with us. God, I thank you that you came as Jesus, as, as this fully human but fully divine man. And you showed us the right way to live. And yet, just as the people did then and not, not accept that, not follow that, we too have our moments where we don't follow that. And so God, I pray that you would, that we'd, we'd confess that. Maybe even some of us for the first time Realizing that Jesus is Savior and King, not to, not to dominate our life, but to set us free, often from ourselves. So that's our prayer, God, that we would trust you. And that in those moments, you'd restore us to this place with you where we can freely talk and give and share um, and live. God, as we enter um, these weeks before Christmas to celebrate that you are with us, pray that we'd use this time right now, even singing this song, to set our hearts right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>